Welcome to Teleforum, a podcast of the Federal Society's practice groups. I'm Dean Reuter, Vice President, General Counsel, and Director of Practice Groups at the Federal Society. For exclusive access to live recordings of practice group Teleforum calls, become a Federal Society member today at fedsoc.org. Welcome to the Federal Society's Teleforum Conference Call. This afternoon's topic is a courthouse steps decision episode on the case United States Patent and Trademark Office v. Booking.com TV. My name is Greg Walsh, and I am Assistant Director of Practice Groups at the Federalist Society. As always, please note that all expressions of opinion are those of the experts on today's call. Today, we are fortunate to have with us Mr. Z. Rosen, an Assistant Professor at Southern Illinois University School of Law. After our speaker gives his opening remarks, we will go to audience Q&A. Thank you for sharing with us today. Z, the floor is yours. Thank you. So yeah, um, the court recently decided the decision in Booking.com, in which, and I should give a precise title: of United States Patent and Trademark Office versus Booking.com. And this is a case involving whether or not you can get a trademark in a generic word with a top-level domain, for instance, .com, appended to it. So trademarks protect goodwill in a brand and they protect the customers and consumer public by allowing them to identify a source of goods. So they basically allow a brand to develop a property interest and has perceived by the public and allows the public to say, oh, that brand I know has come from here. Makes sense. And there's five basic types of trademarks. There's generic marks, descriptive marks, suggestive marks, arbitrary marks, and fanciful marks. And which of these uh, buckets really depends how the trademark is going to be evaluated for whether or not it'll be protected by law. By law. Generic marks per se are not protected by trademark law because generic marks don't really describe a product. They describe, they describe a class of products. For instance, you can't get a trademark for soda for a carbon for a carbonated soft drink that's flavored because soda is a class of goods, not the good. On the other hand, a descriptive mark, for instance, let's say um, fizzy bubbles, um, might be describes a product, but it's not the only way to describe it, and so it can be protected by trademark law if you sh- if you show secondary meaning. In other words, you show that the public understands fizzy bubbles to mean this brand of soda and not describing the soda. On the other hand, suggestive, arbitrary, and fanciful marks are all inherently distinctive. In other words, they are not in any way, they don't describe a product and they aren't aren't what a product is. They're simply a brand name that is used to denote a product and the public wouldn't understand it any other way naturally. And so... The court, and the question here was Booking.com. Everyone agrees that Booking is generic, including uh, Booking.com. Agrees that it's generic, the word itself, for booking for services booking travel. And the question is, okay, well, Booking.com, is that generic or is that descriptive? And the Patent and Trademark Office ruled that this was, in that because Booking is generic, appending .com to it makes it generic as well. And that adding a suffix like .com or companies does not affect the status of a word, whether or not it is generic. And this went up, it went to the district court, and the district court held 
that there was no per se rule about a generic plus a top-level domain extension. The court held that Booking.com was was could be registered if it can show that a general that the public recognized it as having as being inherently distinctive. Went up to the Court of Appeals and they had the same sort of and basically the same reaction where they um, held the same way and it went to the Supreme Court and. At the Supreme Court, the court agreed. They said there is no per se rule against a generic term plus a top-level domain being a descriptive mark. So whereas booking company likely couldn't be registered because it's, it's a generic term plus company, booking.com could, can, register for, can be registered potentially if booking can, booking.com can show general public says, oh, booking.com, that's a trademark. Now, I should know that's not the same thing as having a domain name. You can have a domain name, and, and the domain name may not be your trademark. For instance, AmericanExpress.com, there's a website, AmericanExpress.com, but the trademark is AmericanExpress, not AmericanExpress.com, and if they want to register, well, let's might be a bad example because the public recognized American Express is being a arbitrary mark, but likely maybe suggestive for a credit card. But in a case of a word that's descriptive of what of what a business does, like American Airlines, the trademark is American Airlines, not AmericanAirlines.com. Although people might say because oh, we also associate AmericanAirlines.com. It depends entirely on the public. So this goes back to a very old case from 1888, the Goodyear, the, the Goodyear rubber case. And in that case, it was um, the Goodyear rubber, rubber glove company versus the Goodyear rubber company. And the Goodyear rubber company sued, saying that they were violating their um, trademark in their name. And the court held that because Goodyear rubber was a generic term for a process for producing rubber, Goodyear Rubber Company was also generic because there was no other way to describe a company that was using that was, that was making Goodyear Goodyear Rubber products. You needed something additional to it to make it a trademark. Goodyear Rubber Company in and of itself was not a valid trademark. And the court says, "Well, yes, that was one thing, but here we say that Goodyear means that the public would under, this is the court reading of Goodyear that if a public would understand." A term as generic, a term as generic with a word added, then it is, then it is still generic. But if a public would understand it, a, a generic term plus a domain name added as not being generic, but instead applying to a specific business, then it is in fact denoting the source of goods and services. So, the majority looks at sort of what is you know. And the majority accuses the government of sort of downplaying this and saying, well, the fact that domain names uh, only point to one business are not material. But the court finds it quite material that because unlike company, it doesn't really change the way the word works. It's still sort of, you know, rubber and rubber company. One describes a product, one describes a company for that product in a generic sort of way, whereas GoodyearRubber.com, for instance, you would say, oh, that can only go one place. And you say, oh, GoodyearRubber.com is going to take me to the homepage of a Goodyear Rubber Company. And even if a Goodyear Rubber Company can't get a trademark of its name because that's generic, 
the general public will understand GoodyearRubber.com as going to a specific domain name that's owned by the Goodyear Rubber Company, and accordingly, the general public is going to say, okay, I can follow that. So this doesn't mean that all generic .com domains are necessarily going to register for copyrights. So just for instance, a website for, say, beauty.com for beauty products, the question isn't, oh, it's a .com. It can only go one place. It must be a trademark. Instead, it's to be treated as a descriptive trademark. And then on applying for a trademark, you're going to have to show the Patent and Trademark Office evidence that the general public regards your, your domain name trademark as, going for, as being a mark for your business and not just a general trademark for basically, and not just a domain name for a type of services. So if it's just a trademark for a type of services, it's going to be generic. And, and more to say, if the general public understands it as a, as a domain name for a type of services, it's generic. If the general public understands it as being a, a domain name for your services, then it can, then it, like I, should, I should actually amend. If the general public understands it as a domain name for a type of services, it's actually going to be descriptive under this decision most likely. And the question will become whether or not it's going to be registered as, for having secondary meaning in the public. It'll only have secondary meaning in the public if the public understands it as being your trademark as opposed to just a trademark for your type of services. So there is some underlying concern about what this is going to matter for enforcement and lawsuits. There were some murmurs around this case of Booking.com trying to use this registration to prevent other people from having the word booking in their domain name, for instance. And the court and the majority essentially brushes this off. The court, well, they treat, they treat it for a few pages, but they say, ultimately, this is only, only going to be a descriptive mark at any point because it's a generic word plus a .com, so the general public can understand it as denoting your goods and services. But it still will only, it'll be weak. It will only allow you to, it is going to have a, a, basically a descriptive, a descriptive mark is going to have a weaker zone of protection regarding similar marks. So it's not going to allow you necessarily sue everyone who has a vaguely similar trademark. It only is only going to allow you to sue people who are doing things like cyber squatting. And it's not going to, it's not going to give you necessarily a wide berth in terms of suing other people with similar trademarks. What that'll mean in practice is hard to see, but we'll, we'll have to find out. And that's essentially the majority. It's a fairly simple, the court says we are not faced with a decision of whether booking.com is a trademark, or rather is a canvas of a trademark under patent office rules in terms of whether or not it's had inherently distinctive or anything like that. All the court says is that there's no, there is no per se rule that a generic term with a top level domain plus .com appended cannot be registered. So there is no per se rule, and such registrations can be made if you otherwise meet the hurdles of registering a descriptive mark, which is showing evidence of secondary means for public. So there's, you know, there's a concurrence by Justice Sotomayor. It's very brief. And what she says, and this is what the majority says too, is that 
Surveys are not the only way of understanding what, what a term means to the general public. And so, you know, sort of a warning from the court not to focus solely on surveys. In practice, though, you have to think surveys are going to remain important. We haven't yet figured out a much better way to determine whether or not a term is generic. And as a result, I suspect despite this warning, surveys are going to be treated heavily, but I'm sure a patent and trademark office is also going to say, okay, we have to, you know, give us something besides survey evidence. Like you can show advertising budget, you can show a couple of, a couple of ways. And if, and if all you're doing is using your, your name as your trademark and then your website is your trademark plus a top level domain, if you don't show that you are using it as a trademark of court, then the PTO might say, well, all you've shown us is that your name is your trademark, is that your trademark is your trademark, and not that your trademark plus a domain name to be a trademark. And Booking.com, of course, for trademark actually is Booking.com. It's not just Booking. And as a result, that doubtless is going to influence how the mark is treated. Um, and so she also emphasizes that the court did not address whether or not Booking.com can be registered itself. It only says there's no per se rule against it. The dissent by Justice Breyer, who folks might know, was really one of the, of the only IP professor before he joined the bench. Um, wrote a famous um, article on copyright laws, a tenure piece for Harvard many years ago. And he attacks this on two basic grounds. His first, his first ground of attack is doctrinal. He says it's a fundamental rule that generic marks can't be registered. And part of this is because of consumer protection. Say, hey, we, if a mark is generic and only denotes a class of products, adding company or .com or whatever cannot make it non-generic. A generic word is born generic and it'll die generic, so to speak. There is no way to revive a generic mark. Once a mark becomes generic, that's it. And you can't somehow make it non-generic by appending a top-level domain or company or other sort of word with just denotes as an internet site. And this is basically sort of the classical doctrine about registration, which goes back to the Goodyear case, which the court, you know, the court, court can say whether or not it's really rejecting Goodyear or not, but it's certainly a pushback against Goodyear. I think there was... You know, the Goodyear rubber case is a very old case. It deals with the 1881 Trademark Act, which only applied for commerce with foreign nations. It didn't even um, protect trademarks used only in interstate commerce at the time. And I do think this is a court, whether or not they admit it, shifting a little bit on what the rules are for, gener for generics with something else appended. So is Goodyear still good law for a generic plus company? I think the majority says, oh, no, we're just distinguishing it. But I don't know exactly if that's the case. Can you get a generic word and trademark it, well, and register for trademark law with a patent and trademark office by um, a pending company to, or LLC or what have you, to a generic mark? I can't tell you 100% no after this decision, although I think the most literal decision reading of this case is to say, well, help domains are different because the general public understands them as pointing to only one place on the internet. The other reason that this Breyer points to for not 
allowing generic marks to be registered if there is a, you know, regardless of whether or not there's a top level domain to attach to it or not, is about unfair competition. And there's not a lot of discussion of a competition angle in the majority. And this gets back to the whole debate about what trademark law is really about. Is it about protecting the public or is it about dealing competition and, and preventing people from stealing a goodwill associated with a brand? And this is a very longstanding debate. Um, there's a lot of scholarship on this. A lot of scholarship generally showing that early trademark law, certainly at the time of Goodyear, was very concerned about unfair competition. And that consumer protection really only enters the picture in the 20th century. But regardless, I mean, it's certainly part of it by now, part of trademark law by now. And if you have by, um, and you know, if you look at it from unfair, uh, as trademark just being about consumer protection, you're perhaps less concerned about a generic dot-com market. Like, oh, well, general public understands. That's going to go to a certain website. And we understand that that's going to, you know, refer to this company and not, and not generically. If you look at it in terms of unfair competition, you know, there's a worry about allowing generic terms for a class of services to effectively be monopolized by one mark owner who has a dot-com. And... That, you know, that's been always been a big part of a generic rule in terms of unfair competition, preventing people from monop- from allowing an unfair advantage on their competitors by monopolizing the name for the class of goods and services. And that is essentially the gist of the dissent. I say, I say this violates the doctrine, the doctrine, and the doctrine, you know, consumer protection and also unfair competition. But the majority really is focused on, on unfair comp- on the public and, rec- and recognition of a mark by the public, and if, and it's really sort of a more modern view, perhaps, as opposed to sort of a more classical view of the dissent. So where do we go from here? And I think there are some interesting questions about what happens next. So as I said, the immediate fear is that there's going to be a rush of generic dot-com registration attempts by people. I don't think the patent and trademark offices can be that eager to depart from its usual practice regarding generic plus top-level domain registrations right away. I suspect that we're going to look at the decision and say, yes, we no longer have a per se rule, but we're still going to look at these very critically. Booking.com was a very specific case where all of our commercials said booking.com, booking.yeah, or what, or, or, and what have you. And they really used the domain name as their trademark. Most Dot com businesses are not using their name, their domain name as their trademark. And if it's otherwise a descriptive term, and John Paul might, might, might understand it in a certain context, they might say, "Well, you have to show us additional evidence that it is that it is there is secondary meaning for the domain name." Here and so that is, you know, the possibility for how, for what PTO will do next. Part of this is frankly that you know you had the first generation of generic dot coms, and you know beauty dot com, which I mentioned earlier, was one of those where the patent and trademark office refused to register their domain names as trademarks, and 
you know, now as a dot-com era, perhaps it's starting to fade and your ability to have your name on social media is perhaps more important than having the domain name itself. You wonder if it's going to be as significant as it would have been 20, and let's be honest, 25 years ago now. You know, I mean, at this point, the general public is just as likely to go to a Facebook page or a Twitter page for a company as they are to go to a company's, to a company's website. And we'll see what happens. You know, it's interesting to see what happens regarding this. But also, frankly, the case that most companies, there's only a few businesses really like Booking.com or use their, use their domain name as a trademark. Another one, and a similar business, is, is Hotels.com. And, of course, Hotels.com had their application denied and, and denied on appeal for being generic. And they've kept using it, and as far as I can tell, they've been able to, to use, it, use, it, use it successfully because of the unique nature of a domain name. Whereas the flip side of the fact the general public understands a domain name generally can only go to one place, is that if you use it, as long as you keep your registration active, that domain name is always going to go to you. And the only thing that you can't stop is people from getting similar domain names and advertising them in a similar way. And so, you know, the court sort of takes trademark... This has been the court's trend for a while now. It has been to say we don't want to do bright-line rules in IP cases, we're going to look at the statute, and if the statute doesn't say we have to have a bright-line rule, we're not going to apply it. Instead, we're going to give a sort of – the statute only says a few things. Everything else is flexible, which, of course, is great in theory, but those, those of you listening to a call who have engaged in litigation on trademark issues will know that oftentimes the uncertainty as for what the test is, et cetera, can result in – an uncertainty that where the court you really have no idea of course going to do. Of course, on the flip side, many of you many of you have also litigated trademark cases with eight or nine prong tests for for um, whether or not something is, is distinctive or not, which themselves can be a pain in the neck. And there's so many moving parts that the uncertainty there can be an issue as well. So I don't think there is one great way necessarily to resolve this, but I do think the court is saying well. We're going to try to have a flexible rule and the PTO and tell PTO to be flexible in this, um, and also to be aware that descriptive marks have this weaker sort of penumbra protection regarding them than a stronger mark. Because Booking.com is a weak mark, perhaps a warning to Booking.com to not try to sue e-booking and hotel booking and every other book, every other xbooking.com, I guess you could call them, website. One additional interesting um, issue is the issue of top-level domains themselves. And can you get a trademark for a top-level domain? For instance, Booking.com has applied for a top-level domain .booking. And I don't know if they can get a trademark for that. I, I know we discussed this a little bit on the post-argument call. But you do get into interesting, interesting questions here as to what is needed to make it generic, because like a top a top level domain like dot booking also can only go to one place. And does does adding a dot before a generic mark make it not generic? We know that adding dot com after is enough to make it not generic in, in certain cases, at least to avoid a per se rule. But how much is needed to take a generic term and make it descriptive after booking dot com decision? And I suspect we're going to see a number of decisions from lower courts 
a chew on this decision and try to figure out, okay, we know it's possible to make a generic mark descriptive by adding a sort of simple word to it, but how much is needed to do that and how's that going to work? And we'll see what happens going forward, but I think the court has spoken. It's up to a lower court and the patent trademark office to figure out what exactly to do with this. And I would love to hear your questions. Perfect. Let's go to audience questions. Uh, Mr. Rosen, do you have any predictions on how this decision um, could have an impact in the e-commerce industry going forward? You know, I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact, to be honest. Um, Especially as e-commerce has become more and more balkanized. um, And you've had, frankly, I think Amazon is now three-quarters or nine-tenths of e-commerce. You increasingly have people working with platforms rather than setting up their own platform in terms of e-commerce. So I'm not really sure how much it's going to matter for um, e-commerce. I mean, as is, pretty much all the good and even decent domain names have been taken long ago. And so the only question is going to be whether or not you can fight um, – well, it'll definitely improve your ability to fight cyber squatting, I think, and have a registered trademark. I think it will um, increase your ability to deal with copycat services that have a confusingly similar name. And I use it confusingly there as a term of art. But, you know, if someone tries to set up, like, booking.co, for instance, May, then maybe you can say, oh, oh, that is actually a um, infringement. But I don't think booking.co, what, what about booking.co.uk? Does this give it, I mean, of course, this is a, a U.S. registration, so it wouldn't help in, in the U.K., but let's say they try to enforce it in the U.S. So there's potentially some, but I, I think the result is frankly to be more on the legal end than on the e-commerce end. I don't really see it in necessarily change the e-commerce landscape, but that is that could change. I think that if courts don't take the the comment of the Supreme Court that descriptive marks are given are are, are weaker marks in this context and start you know and of course that's not just Supreme Court saying that, but if they start treating these as strong marks and canceling registrations of domain names of booking in dot com in them like e-booking or whatever, then yes, there is a potential impact. But aside from that, I think it's mostly going to be for the lawyers. Understood. Thank you. I'd like to remind everyone that to keep an eye out for uh, emails announcing upcoming teleform calls. You can also consult the full schedule of our upcoming teleform calls on FedSoc's website, fedsoc.org. Also available there are podcasts of previously recorded teleform calls you may have missed, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Professor Rosen, is there anything else you want to hammer home before we um, conclude? No, I think that the lesson, once again, from Supreme Court is they don't want to give lots of complicated tests or bright line rules the way some circuit circuit courts have done. They'll sort of say, well, the court doesn't specify this, so, you know, rather the statute statute doesn't specify, so... We're just going to we're just going to say that the PTO has to make has to use its best judgment, and or courts courts use their best judgment in the absence of a sort of more specific test. Understood. We do have one caller on the line. Let's uh, let's go to them now. 
Hi, thank you for this teleform. I was just wondering um, if you predict um, companies to start opening with generic terms and advertising themselves with a dot com and something to that effect. It's an interesting question. Um, are we going to see a, a, a de facto rise in generic dot com marks? Maybe. Uh, you know, I mean, or rather. I just the, the problem the problem with dot com marks at this point, frankly, is that it seems almost outdated. Uh, like how like how like booking dot com, and I know because I've, I've tweeted about this case. Twitter does not like when you talk about domains and treat them as trademarks. It tries to make them into links, and I think that is true across, across a lot of platforms. That dot com mark can actually be almost a disadvantage on um, uh, um, for use aside from sort of old-fashioned TV and print advertising. And um, also, I suspect most generic .com domains are taken by now. I don't know. No, there might be, you know, there might be cyber squatters who will sell them to you. And actually, one area where there might be a change is I suspect the prices for generic .com marks have gone up. And I, and I, sh I shouldn't call them cyber squatters because that has a different meaning as a term of art. But domain merchants... I wouldn't be surprised if they've raised their prices for generic.com marks in response to this decision. But I don't, it's still hard. You have to really advertise a mark like heck, and then all your, but a lot of what you're really advertising is your website. And as the internet continues to evolve beyond sort of a website driven format and more towards platforms, I, I think a lot, that's probably not a strategy a lot of businesses will take. I do think you'll probably see it from smaller businesses. Trying try to use their generic.com domains into a trademark. So you, you might see more of that. I think a lot of larger companies, probably less so. And it's also going to depend on how the USPTO interprets the decision. Oh, for sure. I mean, and they can say, oh, yeah, you, yeah, that's right. There's no per se rule. We're just, now a he we're just now a heavy presumption against it, which I could easily see them saying or something like that. So they might well do that for sure. Booking.com is kind of an outlier. There aren't really that many generic.com trademarks that are advertised heavily as generic.com trademarks. And and so, yeah, I suspect the PTO, even if they've, the Supreme Court told them to change, but for only to change as much as, as much as they have to, is my guess. Let's now go to the next question. Uh, yes, good afternoon, sir. Uh, I don't do much IP, but uh, <clears throat> just curious as to your reaction. I, I was aware enough of events in the industry a number of years ago when uh, the PTO started granting process patents, um, which sort of didn't really require any enabling or instantiating technology per se. And my sense is that at least a lot of people in in IP and, and the marketplace thought that wasn't necessarily a good thing, and it led to seem to allow an explosion of the grant of, of patents that were um, not viewed as perhaps legitimate. And I, I, your use of the term "cyber squatter" brings to mind the uh, similar term "patent troll" uh, or non-practicing entity. I guess is the uh, you know more polite version of that. But I'm just curious as to whether or not this might be viewed by some as kind of a step down that same sort of path. Well, I do think that you know you're talking about the PTO's examination process and you know concerns about that. 
And that was actually something that was very important here, where the, the Supreme Court took note, was noted in the argument, they actually granted a lot of generic dot-com patents, uh, trademarks, sorry, um, already. And that the line was already sort of arbitrary, and they were saying there was a per se rule and then granting them and granting others anyway. And so I do think the fact that, you know, PTO examination would be very uneven. And because of that unevenness, I think that, and the majority noted, noted that, that they said, listen, you savor the per se rule, but there already isn't. And let's, let's dispense with that fiction instead of focus on the substance. So I do think you know, in that way, in terms of loosening, um, you know, of dealing with how examination can let things through, but maybe shouldn't have been let through, is certainly an interesting comparison. Now, of course, cyber squatters are interesting because they, they're, they're, they're often people who are trying to use someone else's. So it's, it's sort of different from whether you call them you know, patent assertion entities or patent trolls or what have you. Um, those are entities that hold the valid registration and depending on the views of others are um, trying to monetize it, you know, or sue people for using it. A cyber squatter is someone who would just got the domain name first and then it, um, hold, basically holding it for ransom against a person who owns that trademark or that business name. And so it's sort of on opposite ends, I think. Well, you know, matter of perspective, I suppose. But um, no, definitely, there's, you know, the way IP can cause certain asymmetries and sort of bottlenecks, where there's a rights holder, or in the case of a cyber squatter, someone who owns, you know, the rights to a uh, domain registration, and effectively block, um, you know, other people, you know, the, sort of the legitimate user from using it. But you no, know, and of course this. The special case is almost the opposite of cyber squatting. It's where the company owns the domain, they advertise the domain, and they, and they want to trademark the domain. So it's sort of straightforward. They own it and they want to trademark it. So, so you know, there's famous cases like um, Nissan.com, which is not a true cyber squatter because the guy's, the guy's, the guy's name was, was Nissan, still is, still is Nissan as far as I know, and it was for his computer business. Well, that's a reason it's, I think, uh, NissanCars.com instead of Nissan.com because someone else, someone else got the domain name first. Well, there are no more questions on the line, Professor Rosen. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I'm, l- I'm looking forward to see what happens in this area of law in the next five years. I, I think this can keep all of us busy. Absolutely. On behalf of the Federalist Society, I want to thank our speaker for the benefit of his valuable time and expertise today. We welcome listener feedback by email at info at fedsoc.org. Thank you all for joining us. We are adjourned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teleform, a podcast of the Federalist Society's practice groups. For more information about the Federalist Society, the practice groups, and to become a Federalist Society member, please visit our website at fedsoc.org.